On today's podcast, Johnny W. and Brian Bates join me in the studio to cover three topics. And this episode is sponsored by Patreon supporter Jeremy Lee. Thanks, Jeremy. Welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by SchoolofLaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show. And that's how babies are born. Hey, guys, how's it going? <laughs> Good. Thanks, Rick. Well, you know, you never know. It's never too late to have a baby, and if, it, uh, if it's on your all's radar, go ahead and do it. <laughs> That'll be all for this podcast. That'll be it. And back to you, Dave. <laughs> well, I've got, like I said, uh, Brian and Johnny here today. We're just kind of hanging out. And I thought we'd talk about a couple comedy things uh, since we're all in town and things are kind of ramping back up. So we'll cover cover three things today that I want to talk about. One is just kind of what we're seeing out there doing the different gigs that we're doing as things are wrapping up. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, the Bo Burnham comedy special, which we've all seen most of, if not all. And then... Uh, talk about joke writing and how sometimes by not memorizing a joke word for word and delivering that way constantly, you might stumble into a better version of the joke or a side angle that kind of slips in on stage. So we'll hit those three things. And if we don't, I'm a liar. How you guys doing? Good? <laughs> good. Good. All right. So, uh, yeah, the first thing, you know, shows are opening back up. It's it's not happening at the same rate for everybody, I understand, but you know, most comedy clubs never completely shut down or, or had limited capacity and theater shows were somewhat limited. Corporate events were kind of non-existent there for a while. Um, churches, some didn't really care or believe that there was a real virus. <laughs> so there's been, I've had some gigs the past, you know, year, two or three a month, regardless, some virtual, what have you. But now a lot of the rescheduled gigs are getting rescheduled along with new booking. So it's, it's been pretty busy here lately and it's, I'll just say to lead off, it's been refreshing to see how many old people are going to shows now. <laughs> I did uh, two different events uh, in the past couple of weeks where it was 55 and up. One yeah. was a Dell Webb community. Yeah. So that's retired people. that Those are, are fun. Yeah. They're fun. They're set up great. Theater setting. Uh, they had over 550 people. They'd all been all been vaccinated or they were okay with where they were at in life yeah. and or leading up to the, <laughs> they're okay rolling the dice or laying it on the line for a Rick Roberts they comedy know where show they're going. or leading it up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they had to be one or the other. Yeah. And, and specifically that age group, I think they, they were so happy to laugh because a lot of them were seriously locked down and uh, apprehensive about going anywhere. So just to hear that eight, you know, 70, 80 year olds, 60, 70, 80 year olds laughing hard at what they could hear and understand before their hearing aid. <laughs> Where they start coughing? Texas. Okay. So just north of Austin, Georgetown. Yeah. And so that one went really good. And um, I looked out and maybe I saw four or five masks, maybe people with compromised immune systems or what have you, or they just, you know, making faces at me the whole time. <laughs> they want me to know. <laughs> and then I did another event in uh, Jackson, Tennessee. Over 750 seniors. Wow. At a, um, in a church setting at, at Union University. And I mean, maybe a dozen people in masks, but everybody else just laughing really loud. And I don't know if it's the, the lack of having audiences for a year at full capacity, but it's just the laugh sounds so much better this time around. Yeah. I definitely appreciate it more and all that stuff, but it's just, they seem like they really needed, a lot of people came up after both of those shows really needed to laugh. 
So I'm excited to see that the the bookings and the the shows and the attendance was the thing I was really curious about. I knew we were going to do those shows. I didn't know how people were going to show up, mm-hmm. and they were full, both of them. So that's kind of what I'm seeing on my end from corporate slash church. Yeah. Not that Adele Web's a corporate event, but it's a a different set of private event, I guess. Yeah. yeah, for that community. Yeah, I think you're seeing some like you could call it like pandemic fatigue though too. It's almost it's not. I don't know if it's that the virus is any less dangerous. But we're kind of over it or whatever, maybe. Yeah, I don't I mean, know. It is less dangerous if you're vaccinated. Right, for I sure. Mean, I feel a lot safer. And I know we're, yeah, we're all vaxxed. So we just feel like, all right, we're going to, I got to get on with my career if I can. But yeah, I'm with you. Like I have events that are on the calendar for the fall and winter. And I'm like, I hope these hold. And I hope that they're not going to spread the virus. And also, like, I'm curious to see, are people going to start being reticent to coming to events again? Like if it keeps deepening into the into the late uh, summer, early fall. We'll see. I'm, uh, I'm hopeful though. Like you said, things are like, there's more activity on the website, more activity in mm-hmm. the booking worlds, which is good. So. Yeah. I mean, there seems with every passing week, more evidence that the vaccines are doing their job and that it's really rare mm-hmm. for a breakthrough case to put you in the hospital. And even here in Nashville, a hundred percent of those that were hospitalized mm-hmm. um, were either well, 99 point whatever percentage of them, nine out of 10 were not vaccinated. And the one that yeah. was vaccinated had a compromised immune system, mm-hmm. which now they're giving them booster shots if they've been vaccinated to, yeah. to kind of prevent any serious damage. So, I mean, the science has been working great. So, hopefully, I mean, I think it really is the point now of getting the unvaccinated people vaccinated so that the vaccinated people who can still transmit the virus – yeah. Don't infect their neighbors who are not participating in the shots. Yeah. It's great. Like, I, I never wanted to be one of those people. Like, you got to get it. But I yeah. think to <clears throat> to really eliminate the chances of hospitalization and, and death un, unnecessarily, get the vaccine. Yeah, I just don't see it as political at all. I think it's odd that it's been politicized because I thought it was like, I mean, I'm a person of faith. And I'm like, this is like a miracle. Yeah, we, we even talked this. the other day about the old joke. So, the original joke was there's a flood happening and a guy's up on his roof. And he's praying, save me, save me. And a mm-hmm. boat comes by. And he's like, no, no, I prayed to God he's going to save me. And then the helicopter comes by. Right. Then he ends up drowning and going to heaven. Like, why didn't you save me? He goes, I sent a boat and a helicopter. <laughs> right. And Johnny, like, it's the same thing. I sent a vaccine. Yeah. In yep. less than a year. Yep. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just, to me, I, I, I don't understand the politicization. I'm like, just, I'm, I, I was totally, I, I took it so fast your head would spin. The minute I could get it, I went and got it. And I just felt, I wanted my life to get back to normal. I just wanted to stop worrying every day about it. So I still worry about other people and I'm trying to take care of other people, but I worry about it for myself and my family a lot less. So it's good. It's a good feeling. Yeah. I just worry that, I mean, this Delta variant uh, is one thing, but then it'll keep mutating. There's a Lambda variant and it'll keep mutating if we don't squelch it. And eventually our vaccinations right, won't work Won't work, and hopefully they'll come up with another vaccine. But, you know, we got to try to nip it in the bud. It's, I think it, I yeah. think this virus is a lot like Brian Bates's act in that ninety-nine point nine percent of people won't get it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it, but it's very infectious. Yeah, yeah, the one, right. the people that do get it, yeah, yeah are really going to love it. Well, we do got to nip it, and I think when the vaccines were available, but not to my age group, that's how I approached it. Was I would hang out like I was cruising. Trying to pick up chicks, but I was trying to pick up a vaccine. <laughs> yeah, I stopped by three or four different pharmacies yeah. to see who's hanging out around last. Oh, because they were throwing away doses or whatever. They were throwing away doses, so I just kind of walk up like Barney Five and go, "Well, if nobody else shows up tonight, young lady, uh, can you give me a shot?" Yeah. <laughs> so, end up getting one at T.O. Kroger. I mean, I've done the last two or three weeks. I've done a corporate, a church, club, and theater, mm-hmm. and an arena. 
I like to just throw that in ahead. And well, you hit for the cycle and yeah. you got back on base. Yeah. And <laughs> um, pitched a no hitter. <laughs> but, and those were packed in little to no mask. <laughs> but now, I mean, I worry that, you know, there's just a few events uh, the last day or two I've heard about that are mass required, which that's not ideal for comedy, but that's okay. But now I just read today where Hawaii is starting to limit indoor seating and for events and such. And I hope it doesn't get back to that. Yeah, I saw also that all events taking place in Central Park require vaccinate proof of vaccination, and mm-hmm. that's an outdoor mm. park. Yeah. Um, so, and I have no problem. I mean, that, that could be a whole other discussion, and it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds. But you know, so, some venues, most venues are doing what the artist requests, mm-hmm. yeah. from what I'm hearing. So, if if the artist says, you know, I honor the date, but everybody has to have a vaccine, then they just have to suffer the refunds from those people that can't come but i just wonder if there's a black market on vaccine proof oh yeah what's well, like fake ids you can go on the internet and buy a fake ID. i'm sure you my, can my niece is going to college and she was saying that that's out there and i was like this is going to be vaccine cards too because when they were making these cards i don't think they foresaw this is going to have value in the free market to people who don't want to get the vaccine but realize i need this to get around first of all it doesn't fit in your wallet it's just this card with ballpoint pen written on it yeah it's it's so lame and so not thought out as far as like easy to replicate with your, it just put an index card in your printer. Right, right. <laughs> well, I traded three for a Doji coin the other day. Oh, well, that's nice. And then it got stolen by the Ethereum <laughs> people. <laughs> Which, if I could just understand that, I would hate it even more. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it seems like things are going. Now, you, you've done a couple. I think the two of us, you've done some bigger venues. I mean, the uh, the Ryman, right, with mm-hmm. Leanne Morgan, and that's. Yep. How many is that? Eighteen hundred people? No, it's like twenty two, twenty three hundred. Twenty two, and that was packed. Yeah, it was. It was full and rocking out. No and, mask. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If, if one person has it in that crowd and they laugh at anything, then every, everybody who can get it would get it. Yeah, I did my part. No one laughed while I was up there. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So nice. Um, it was really but Leanne's a super spreader. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that was a yeah. That's been a while, too. So, as far as I know, no one got sick from that. Yeah. And you've got the uh, Grand Old Opry coming up with Nate, right? Or I, no? I do. Yeah. That's uh, in October. Um, doing the Ryman and Grand Old Opry with him. But sooner than that, um, September 7th, I'm doing the Grand Old Opry, Grand Old Opry show. Oh, really? Good yeah. for you, man. Yeah. Awesome. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. Well, you know, you get a friend pass if you want to have somebody hang out backstage with you. I'd love to go. <laughs> Seriously. Well, I know. I mean, that, uh, you probably have other friends though. Well, they, no, they sent an email today saying because of COVID, they're really restricting who can be backstage and stuff oh, like specifically that. So. said, don't bring Rick. Yeah. Yeah. I could be your manager. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been a couple of times, you know, with, with uh, other comics. Yeah. Who it's have fun. Performed it? on it. It's fun. Yeah. And, and we'll see. I was hoping to, you know, my, at least my wife or maybe some of my family could go. But. Yeah, or your girlfriend. Yeah, or my girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. Big one. So I'm going to tell my wife that because of COVID, she didn't <laughs> yeah, go. That's but, right. Uh, but, so yeah. so Well, that'd be a lot more people. That is over 4,000, I think, in the opera. It is. It's like 4,300 or something yeah. like that. Now, who knows? By September 7th, they may have limited it and everybody may be wearing masks. But Yeah. Well, you know, at this point, however they get in the seats, masks are fine. Yeah. I, you know, if somebody asks me to wear them, I don't care. I'll yeah. wear it. You know, I've got a bunch of them. Yeah. Selling them as, as uh, gerbil hammocks on Etsy <laughs> right now. Hamster <laughs> hammocks. That's funny. Anywho. Cool, man. Well, I'm glad uh, you guys are seeing what I'm seeing out there. People are happy to return to comedy. 
You know, I think there was a time we probably even talked on the podcast, like, are people going to come back out to shows? Oh, yeah, they couldn't wait from all from all um, accounts. Yeah. Well, the lockdown did ha- have a lot of impact on different comics and the ones that were used to touring couldn't. And one of the interesting things that came out was this Bo Burnham special, which, you know, I knew of him before. I knew how he got his following through YouTube and a couple of silly songs. And he was pretty young when he got the following and. Self-proclaimed not a, a stand-up comedian, but just has the mm. the following that stand-ups have and performs in the same venues as they do. But he took it upon himself to put together the, the special that he just released on Netflix about a month ago. And technically, I mean, I, I just give you some my opinions uh, and feedback from watching it. Technically, I thought, wow, this guy used his time well, mm-hmm. for one. I mean... Uh, Second, I didn't really need to see him in his underwear as much <laughs> as he thought maybe everybody else needed him to see. Yeah. Uh, um, whatever. If he's single, he's trying to garner some interest and go ahead and do what you got to do out there. But <laughs> I thought a little bit much for me, um, you know, language and content-wise, there was a few things where I'm like, eh, not down my value system or what have you. But just the creativity behind it. I didn't realize how he's got a great voice, like mm-hmm. almost perfect pitch. You know, unless he was using some auto-tune on there, it sounded really good. And the things you can do with your own phone and your own setup, I thought he really maxed that out. And uh, I thought it was tight. There wasn't some things that were less jokes and less laughs for sure than other bits. But I, I felt like after 25, 30 minutes, I'd, I'd seen enough. And because it was done in lockdown in, in one place, I kind of felt claustrophobic watching it. And almost like I'm walking around this guy's house with him while he's in his underwear, so I had to turn it off. So I wish I'd known all this before you made me watch it. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're like, I, I, I really liked it. <laughs> no, I had all these similar thoughts to you, but I was like, if we're going to talk about this on the podcast, I need to drudge through this and, and, and watch it. So I watched the whole hour and a half, and then I found out I'm the only one who did that. Oh, oh well, how, how did it end up? <laughs> <laughs> he leaves his house. The pandemic he's ends. very happy. No, right. Still in it. <laughs> I mean, he's super creative and super... Um, just super talented. Um, it was also kind of depressing for me. Well, I the think that's very depressing. true. Like the one thing I would say is if you didn't know who he was before, you definitely know his inside thoughts and his yeah. outward as well. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. Like his, um, you know, it, I, I'd see the Twitter, it trended on Twitter when it came out and, but everybody was commenting like, I saw Bo Burnham's comedy special and comedy would be in quotes and it would show a picture of like the gif of like the guy like sitting in the shower with his clothes on. Because <laughs> you know? basically like it was. But then a lot of people I think really resonated with it because they felt seen because he kind of tapped into the hopelessness we felt during the pandemic. No matter what you were doing for a living, you felt this like unease about what does this mean for my industry? What does this mean for my family? Now, even if you're not afraid of dying, you're like is this going to disrupt the world enough to disrupt me? Mm-hmm. And it did for everyone to whatever level. And I think he tapped into that. And like you said, the creativity, the, the one that I, the thing I remember the most, two songs I remember the most from it, because I relate to his musical comedy more than his straight standup, uh, is uh, the one where uh, all eyes on me. That's the one is very like catchy. Like it was like an earworm. It gets stuck in your head. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I remember seeing clips of that being shared on TikTok and stuff. And I was like, and it would be stuck in my head all day. 
and it's this really like hopeless song, mm-hmm. but it was just really strange. And the one that I remember the most and think kind of sums up internet culture was, uh, can I interest you in everything all of the time? Basically this idea that we're being inundated with too much information and we're addicted to it. We're enraged, but we're addicted to that rage. Even we're addicted to being able to click on one thing and get something from Amazon the next day. Mm-hmm. I think he has a whole song just about Jeff Bezos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so he's got this way of like impugning and kind of poking holes in society in his own clever way. I do think it's interesting. His metamorphosis too, as a comic, when he first came out, I thought he was really kind of hung up on being smarter than his audience. And it was a little off-putting to me because I think comedy should be a little more accessible than that. Can you explain that to me? Yeah. (laughs) But uh, I think he's maybe, A, a, he's morphed into more accessible, uh, like, because obviously what I mean is people can relate to his, you know, whatever's going on, his, his depressed mind. We all could relate to it. But I think he also kind of is like, he found his people. So you don't really have to morph that much if you can really just find your audience of people who are like, oh, yeah, I feel smarter having watched this guy's special, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I thought for sure, um, if nothing else, he kind of solidified himself as a as an artist, mm. you know? So if you just take comedy out of the equation, incredibly artistic. Yeah. Uh, super vulnerable, almost uncomfortable for sure. But really didn't hold anything back. The as far as like what I thought was the funniest to me was the uh, where he's playing the keyboards and the video. Then it shows like him reacting to that, yes. and then he reacts to it, and he mm-hmm. reacts to it. Like I've, we, I mean, you with the three Brian's, and I try to do a thing where I was trying to pitch my four different corporate options. Right, getting the timing down on that mm-hmm. alone. <clears throat> very hard and difficult. Now he had a year, so it, you know yeah. it wasn't like he had to do it in two days, but. But it did time out extremely well. And just to keep that thread going, mm-hmm. I mean, it was hard not to want to keep, see it one more time, one more mm-hmm. frame, one more further away. Did you have a favorite part of the... That was my favorite part. Was, that was very creative. And the other thing was that internet song. I don't know what it was called, but where he talks about how you can just... Everything's on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. And a that was A little bit separate. of everything all the time. I think it's called all the time. Maybe it's not, but yeah. And that was separate from the Instagram song, right? Or was that? Yes. No, that was a white woman's Instagram. White <laughs> woman's Instagram I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> um, it's funny because people had to go on Instagram or Twitter and own the fact that, and they were putting side-by-side photos of what he was lampooning in them. And they'd go, yep. And they nailed it. And there'd be like five examples yeah. that almost matched him perfectly. And it was so funny. People were getting to kind of poke fun at themselves. Yeah. I thought that was done really well. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's incredibly talented. He directed a movie, Eighth Grade. Yeah, I heard that was good. Yeah. Yeah. For, you have kids about about that age? Yeah. I thought you would find it. I mean, I thought it was really good. I don't have kids. It was just really interesting. Yeah. Maybe we should dial it up. Yeah. Yeah. Mine's a sophomore in high school now. Learning how to drive and shave. Wow. Not at the exact same time. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, just wanted to drop into the middle of the podcast here to let you know about a couple of chances where you could come out and see my show. That's right, doing some public events here. Irving, Texas, August 27th at Last by the Lake. It's going to be a good time. Uh, show is going to be fun. It's going to be outdoors, so if you're worried about anything uh, landing on you and infecting you inside, that's not going to be the case here. That's August 27th. You can uh, go to my Facebook page online and learn more about that. Or uh, you can just simply shoot me an email, schooloflights.gmail.com. I can send you some info. The next night, August 28th, I'll be at Farmer's Branch Texas Firehouse Theater with Tim Ketcherson and Reggie French. 
and it's going to be a good time. You can get tickets as well to that. Uh, let me know if you want to come out, and I'll let you know how to get a hold of those ticks. And on September 4th, that's, uh, I'm sorry, September 3rd, that's a Friday, I'll be in Danville, Indiana at the Royal Theater um, that night doing a comedy show. The next day, Saturday the 4th, we're doing a red carpet premiere of the Mayberry Man movie. That's right, the movie's coming out. We'd love for you to catch that. Uh, there'll be other opportunities to see that movie. Um, Hollywood, California, September 13th, we're doing a screening out there. And on September 22nd, as part of Mayberry Days, we'll be doing a screening at uh, Creekside Cinemas in Mount Airy area. So a few different chances to cross paths. And uh, one other in the next couple of months here, September 24th, Crossville, Tennessee. I'll be doing a fundraiser that's open to the public. Uh, any of those dates, if you want to come and see me, uh, just shoot me an email, schooloflast at gmail.com, or look at any of my social media, especially Facebook, and you'll see links. All right, now back to the episode. Bo's an interesting guy, though. He's very thoughtful. I've heard him on uh, Pete Holmes' podcast, and he, one thing he said that I think about all the time is he talked about, like, he was making eighth grade or had just made it. He was So, it's a coming-of-age film. And it's kind of got a social media backdrop to it. The idea that kids and uh, are living in this new, brave new world. And he said, you know, when, an, when a seventh or eighth grader wakes up every day, they know that they're on a ladder, on some rung of the ladder between somebody who has no followers and Kim Kardashian. And they know exactly where they are on that ladder. And that's new. That's a new phenomenon. And it's, it's crippling to kids. Yeah. And what do we do about it? And, and I think about it all the time that even comics amongst ourselves, if I see somebody that has a following bigger than me, or maybe they're even funnier than me. And I see that I have a bigger following than them. I feel like this almost like relief, like, well, at least I have this. It's like, what a weird thing we're juxtaposing onto our career and life. Yeah. And just, just to even think Kim Kardashian could get up on a ladder. Exactly. <laughs> she can't even get on the I mean, it might be a step stool. <laughs> <laughs> I think about all the parties that I didn't get invited to in high school that I didn't even know about uh, <laughs> now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you, don't, you know about them because you see the pictures from the, the next day. Yeah, there was day. a thing about that an article on uh, Cracked.com about like what social media took away from us, and one of them was shunning. Mm-hmm. You can't shun because somebody's like, Somebody will comment on the photo. When was this? Yeah. Right. You'll see the photo with the solo cups in everybody's hands. When did this happen? <laughs> yeah. And like, oh, yeah. we didn't invite you. you know? Yeah. It's, that's interesting. Cause I, I know there was a lot going on that I didn't get invited to, but to, to know exactly what I didn't get invited to yeah. and to see, obviously people only post the, the fun pictures of it. Every, every event will look like it was huge. Every mm-hmm. party was look like it was the best party ever. Mm-hmm. So, but the other thing too, I guess at a certain age group, it kind of flips a little bit, but. A lot of that generation, they they would rather stay home and in their rooms on their phones connecting with each other than go to a party. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. they re- it's it's really interesting. So it's a different different. I mean, I think Bo grew up obviously a YouTuber, so he's been in, under that microscope the whole time. Yeah, and I, and again, it's hard, it's easy for us to say as, as we're older, but it's easy for us to say like, oh, this is not real connection. But I don't know that for sure. I, I think we don't really we won't really know for the next twenty years. Until we can take a thousand yard view of it and be like, oh, this is what it did to culture. And we at some point either pulled the plug on it or we got better at it and adapted and it stopped destroying us or pitting us against each other. But if you look at it now, we're like, oh, well, I can see all the negatives. Obviously, we see the positives. This podcast is going to be put out on social media probably. Like, there's good things. We'll see. We'll yeah, this. exactly. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> I'm not sold on this episode just yet. <laughs> like, it's easy to like. These I, mics I, aren't I look, even on. <laughs> <laughs> it's a dummy podcast. <laughs> 
but yeah, it's like it's easy to see the negative, but I see, I, but I live in a world where we, I'm exploiting the positives too, you know. Um, I don't know. Well, I do think it's, a, I mean, it's, I hate to say like every generation sees things differently, obviously. And, and the older you are, the more the newer stuff seems weird and all that stuff. But it's just the shifting of the norm. You know, when I was grew, grew up, if you had a, if you had an Atari or any kind of computer, you were an outlier for sure. Mm. For sure. And now it's like if you run or go jogging or do go for a hike outside, it's like that guy went out in the real world. Like yeah. the outsiders have flipped and the norm is stay in your house and use bandwidth. Mm. So what you get joy out of is up to you. But, man, I think there's a definitely – I mean, you have to have that outdoor time to have a balance. And if, yeah. if you never do, then that world gets as small as your cell phone quickly. Yeah, there's like a place that posts uh, negative Amazon reviews. It's a Twitter account I'll follow. And like one of them was that one of them was uh, of course she did one of them was uh, it's just funny because of what people say on these different products and one of them was at Yellowstone National Park and somebody gave it a one star and said the Wi-Fi was terrible yeah <laughs> it's just so funny they came all the way to Yellowstone and they couldn't get signal and yeah. they were mad about it that's great I've seen people post about the beach that there was too much sand and stuff like that <laughs> <laughs> everywhere that I looked there was sand well my parents growing up didn't even have telephones. And then my, I remember my sister, when she was a teenager, she's on the phone all the time talking to her other teenage friends. That was what teenagers did back mm-hmm. then. And my parents felt like, what is this? You're not connecting. And now, of course, teenagers never talk on the phone. Yeah. So it's always evolving. Yeah. If you text somebody and they call you back, it's like an affront to them. They're like, what are you doing? Yeah. Just text me back. Is everything okay? Because yeah. like, I'll have conversations with a buddy who'll text me eight or nine things in a row. And we'll go back and forth, and I'll be like, and I'll just call him. But we should, this is a phone call. And he'll be like, what? What? Marty, it's, come it's on. Like taking, it's like taking a back by it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what? Well, you know, took my son and a few of his buddies uh, to a, a thing the other night. There's still, there's three in the back seat, and my son up front, and they're all in there. And every once in a while, in the back seat, I hear, <laughs> and then my son up front, saying, <laughs> and then in the back, <laughs> it's like Beavis and Butthead. Or, <laughs> I mean, it's exactly that kind of laugh. <laughs> And they were just texting each other instead of talking to each other yeah. in the car. And it was nothing that I couldn't have heard. You know, they couldn't have said in front of me. Mm. But it was just like, that's how they're used. They're in the same wow. unit, right? We're all in a four foot by four foot square. Yeah. yeah. But they're still texting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I hadn't thought that when emoticons and emojis became a big thing, I was like, and I know I'm not the first person to think this, but I thought it was interesting that we went from like hieroglyphics and now we have hieroglyphics again. Yeah. Because people can write whole sentences with just emojis and a text. And it's like, this is the cave drawings. Yeah. What if we is... went to another planet and found their cave drawings and it's emojis? <laughs> and we're like, oh, they were way ahead of us. Now like, they're think, extinct. I think John Chris said that if he was a family counselor and he was counseling like a young child, he would just say, show me your most recent emojis. Like, you know, you have that one page on your phone where it's yeah. your most recent. It's the top 20 that you've used last. He goes, I can diagnose you based on your most recent emojis. I was like, oh my gosh, it's so funny. That is pretty <laughs> true. Funny. Interesting. Well, so there's there's the uh, Bo Burnham wrap up. Yep, I do think he's tapped into what's going on now for sure, and the fact that uh, you know he did all that. I just think the fact that he did all that, he made good use of his time and a product that was heavily consumed. And I think there's going to be isn't there going to be a theatrical release of it now? Oh, maybe I don't know. That sounds yeah, it's yeah, interesting. and limited limited spots. So good for him, man. Way to go, dude. Uh, and then last, I thought this would be fun since this is a comedy podcast to. Uh, <laughs> Talk about jokes for a second. And so recently I've been doing this, working on a new joke and kind of 
kind of trying to figure out where different parts of it go and, and what should be said first and last and these different things. I, so I had different ideas, but I really didn't have it concrete written down word for word the way I wanted to say on stage. Um, the first time I did, but I, it kind of naturally didn't follow a script. And so my question to you two guys, and I'll give an example here in a sec, is can you think of a recent joke where you kind of had it going one way and then on stage, because it was more conversational, you said something slightly different and it really changed the reaction from the audience. And if so, did you follow that new reaction down the path or flip it back to where it was because you knew where it was supposed to be in the first place? And so my example, I've got a, a joke where it's basically my wife and I don't fight a lot, but we move things around the house to make each other think we're going crazy. And so like, I'll take my shoes off by the door 10 minutes later, I'll look for them. They're up in my closet. And I'm like, did you put these up there? She's like, no. And I, I know she did. But you you start to wonder because I'm 52. I'm like, maybe I took them up there. And so she'll leave mm-hmm. laundry. She'll do the laundry and leave it in a basket at the foot of the stairs for me to take up st- upstairs. I don't have to put them away upstairs, but she just would rather me take them for whatever reason. And so I would do that. And then the punchline the original intention was I, I would take it, throw it back in the dryer and just turn the dryer back on to make her think she didn't get the laundry out yet. So then that would get a laugh. Three or four shows in, I, I happened to say that she folded the laundry and put it at the foot of the stairs. And then I put it back in the dryer and the ladies in the crowd just went ballistic. Mm-hmm. And I just noticed it's, it's the extra work of folding the laundry. Now I've really, you know, if, if it just took it out and threw it in the basket, it's one thing, mm-hmm. but she took 15 minutes to fold the clothes of four people, you know, like that really got under the skin <laughs> of the ladies. But I love the reaction of them just going, ooh, you know, and just kind of like almost booing. Um, so now I'm trying to figure out what do I do to top that line to still get the laugh or have her, obviously, I think the key is have her do something to me that's yeah equally as frustrating. Yeah, that's but, funny. And I think your show should have a line or two like that that, I don't think you should have a whole show of just like, I shocked them into a groan and that's my show. Like, yeah. But it's fun to break up something with a little bit of like audience verklempt. They're a little bit angsty towards you now. Yeah. 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 When it happened on stage, like I, I didn't know what I had said. So I was like, why on the sudden, all mm-hmm. of a sudden this reaction, but I, I enjoyed it. Like I explored it a little bit. When you were telling me the bit, I said the word gaslight. It's like, I think it's, it'd be funny to say we're, we're just gaslighting each other. We're, we're, our marriage is great, but we just gaslight each other for fun. And then like her response can, like her friends could be like, Rick did that to you? Like, are you guys in trouble? Are you going to get divorced? She's like, I wouldn't give him the satisfaction. Right. Like it's almost like she stays with you out of revenge. Yeah. For what you did about the towel. Yeah. She's you know? got more, she still hasn't found a way to beat that. So she's going to stay right. until she does. Until you can top each other. Yeah. That's a good way. Good. Yeah, you definitely got to have a, if not her doing something to you, something that you are the butt of the joke real quick right after that. Yeah. Yeah. And I will, I'll say this really quick. Gaslighting. I, I kept hearing that term and didn't know what it means. Mm-hmm. So if you're listening to the podcast, you know, don't know what that means. It's basically letting somebody think that they're crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's what's happening in our house. And I mean, I really had to look that up and say, what is Because I kept hearing it in political terms. Yeah. And so anyway. So, yeah, so that's my example of something. I'm going to definitely follow through on it. And and my hope is to get those reactions recorded and, and play them on the podcast so you can hear the difference yeah. with, with basically the same line, but just folding is the only word. So has that happened to you in a joke that you can think of, whether you intentionally swapped it up and, and something happened or the reaction was like out of place and you realized you did? Ryan, did I, I just thought of one that I only tell this at clubs. Um but Here we I'm, go. I'm almost embarrassed to tell this, but uh, so 
like Zany's, um, I would tell this joke about how COVID, there's some advantages of COVID, um, like which about now that we don't shake hands. And I would say, um, <laughs> do you know how much more comfortable I am now around my black friends? And my point being, black people have the handshake that a white guy like it's me. It's a complicated handshake. It's <laughs> a complicated handshake. And now that we're not doing that, I'm so much more comfortable because I'm not stressed out about trying to pull off that handshake. Yeah, you can just do the fist tap or whatever. Yeah, just do the fist tap. And now I'm not worried, stressed about like trying to pull this thing off because I, I can't do it. But when I tried it a couple times on stage, the crowd had this weird reaction. And I realized they think I'm just saying, I'm glad I don't have to touch black people. Ah. Uh. <laughs> Right. So you had to, how did you rephrase it? So I rephrased it to make it more clear to say, I'm glad that all handshaking is done. Something like that, uh-huh. you know, where it's not, you know, I'm saying I don't want to shake anyone's hand. Mm. And then I would kind of do, you know, how, you know, how much more comfortable I am around my black friends. And that seemed to, they get what I'm trying to say. I know you're in right. the handshaking realm. And now. then just to make sure they know, I would do a follow up line like about, I don't know how to dap or bap or whatever. I would say, you know, a couple of real things and then right. a couple made up that shows how out of touch I am. And I would be practicing, you know, I'd, say I'd be practicing in the mirror for 30 minutes, bopping and rapping and dapping and bapping and rapping. You know, yeah. That's funny. But it took me a couple of times, like, why are they giving this reaction? Because. Well, I thought it was weird that you brought your black friend on stage to show that. <laughs> yeah. I think that was where they were like, what's going on? I thought on? it was weird he had a black friend. <laughs> well, yeah. And we all know that he doesn't. I don't. I paid the guy. <laughs> That's funny, though. That is funny. And it's a great observation, you know, the uh, the complicated handshake. Yeah, I have things that morph it. over time. I'm trying to think of one that I had a reaction like that. That uh, then, so do I ride into the, do I lean into this wave of this or do I go another direction? Do I rewrite it? The closest thing I have, like, and we talked about it before we started recording about how when you, the basic gist of it is that when you don't have your jokes completely written out in your head, you can get a little, like it's more free form and you're more likely to have a moment on stage, an aha moment. And I have a joke that I did for a year about the Q-tip box saying, uh, don't insert the Q-tip into your ear. And I was like, I've been cleaning my ears for 30 years. And by that, I mean, I stick a Q-tip out of my ear until I touch what I can only imagine is my brain. Right. Right. And then I twist it to like a cross-eyed. Those are both laugh lines. And then I say, and I pull it out and pray there's not blood. That's how you use a Q-tip where I grew up. And that gets like a lesser laugh. But then like a year in, out of the blue, I just said, I think some of you laughed at that. I can't hear very well. And it's the biggest laugh of the whole joke. And so it's almost like it's a weird thing that happens with some of my jokes where a tag becomes the reason I tell the joke. Yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, man, this gives it new life. Yeah. Um, so that's a little bit different than what the concept you're talking about. But it's a similar thing of like, don't ever think your jokes are necessarily all finished because you never know when an, a good audience is going to give you a chance to explore and find a line that's better than all your other lines. Right, right. You know? And that's usually when it happens. I mean, you're not throwing extra tags out when it's a tight crowd, you know? Yeah. It's amazing how many tags you don't even try when it's tight. You're like, I'm the next. You may have told me that one day. I can't remember who told me that. Somebody that was teaching comedy said, you need good crowds and bad crowds because good crowds help you explore and bad crowds help you edit. Yeah. And you're, you're truly great jokes well, a, a bad crowd will let you know where your truly great jokes are because they'll yeah. still bounce through regardless of how horrible uh-huh. it's been or how much mm-hmm. the reasoning sitting there and listening to you. Like, I I know for sure I've got two good jokes. <laughs> when I have a really bad audience, those two. Yeah. No, but you still, yeah, they, they hold up. But I like that. Like, you know, sometimes it's just, yeah, the good audience is what it is because you can just 
that's where I found all my extra tags, I think, because mm-hmm. you just, I can say one that's more thing. That's why we're so grateful that good audiences are coming back because we have all this material that we, if you write on stage like I do so much now and you don't have a good audience to try it out on or a good audience to explore the ideas that'll go with you, as you kind of work out an idea that's not done yet, you still need that audience to go, all right, we'll go in this cave with you and not knowing where we're going to go. Like, yeah. If you have really stiff audiences all the time, it's hard to write. Yeah. And if you do have it that all the time, you're probably just not doing comedy right. That's true. They're always stiff. It could be you. Yeah. <laughs> it could be. I mean, I'm serious. If you're listening, you're like, oh, every crowd I have is tough. It's like, well, you just haven't got the comedy thing down yet because you'll get them yeah. when you got good, solid material. And I would say to that also, then one thing you got going for you is you're self-aware because most of the people I know who aren't good at comedy don't even realize that the crowd wasn't good. <laughs> They think they killed up there. Yes. Well, I'd say you're ahead of the game if you notice that. Right. Right. If you're a new self-aware comic mm-hmm. and you still like getting up to try to make things better, you're on the right path. Yeah. But if every show, eh, they just didn't get me. Yeah. Then, or if uh, every show you say you killed, if every time I talk to a comedian they say they killed again, yeah. I'm always suspicious of that because oh, it's yeah. just not, that's not how it works. Yeah. The bar might be too low yeah. <laughs> or, the, or the might be at a bar. <laughs> it could go either way. Um, I, was, I just thought of one other example where I had a joke where one word shifted it one night. And, and in this case, it wasn't in a better, more interesting place. I just said they heard it a different way than I said it. And so I, I have the older joke about the Cracker Barrel tornado. Mm. And so in the setup, I'm like, I was sitting at a Cracker Barrel during a tornado. And the way I, I'm supposed to say it is, can you pick a more unsafe place to be during a twister? Mm-hmm. One night I said, can you pick a worse restaurant to be at? <laughs> <laughs> it was here in Nashville, and the crowd was like, Ooh, we love the Cracker Barrel. And I had, to, I had to stop and think about what I said. I go, I mean, a worse place to be at than in a tornado. Yeah. And then it was like, okay. But it was so funny. Like, I just slipped up one night and just yeah. said it more casually. Yeah. And they're like, there's a lot of worse places. You know, that's a pretty darn good place. <laughs> yeah. Especially now that the hash brown casserole is incorporating maple smoked bacon and scrambled eggs. Did okay. y'all know that? No, I did not know It's like that. a little meal by itself. Not a sponsor. Not a sponsor, but we might be headed there soon. Yeah, let's go. So, yeah, I think it's fun to – and, of course, that's a good reason to record your sets. Um, Not every set has a a thing you need to go back and listen to or whatever, but having those, you can go back and go, oh, that's where I went. That's why it didn't work, and you can fix those things. Yeah, I I think Johnny and I talked about this, about how to come out and we'll say something (laughs) that kind of – um, makes me look like I'm not even a real comic. I think <laughs> I set the bar really low, and I think you think you've said before, like it's you kind of you like to establish that you're funny first before you do some of that, right? Yeah, I mean, Rick was talking about that the other day too about how he vacillates between thinking the first thirty seconds are really important or yeah, not important at all. That. And I never really heard you say that before. I thought that was fascinating. And I think I'm in the middle somewhere, too, where sometimes I'll come out, I'll just go, I want to be kind of conversational and take the pressure off the audience that they're under any pressure to just like full on laugh. But then I always have this part of me that wants to prove myself, too. So it makes it easier for everybody. They can unclench and feel better. So I don't know the answer, but because I've done nights where I started out with something new or I started out with something very like off the cuff and it didn't land. And then I went on to have a great show. But I've been derailed before by choosing wrong, too. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I, I where I've wasted 10 minutes trying to get back the first <laughs> yeah. thing. But, yeah, we've talked about imposter syndrome where you come out and you're just like, you almost come out and you're like, 
I want, I'm a comedian, but it's whatever. I'm one of you. It's like they want to, in their mind, believe that this is going to be the funniest night of their life. Yeah. They're rooting for you and they want something from you, but it's hard to know, like, what do they want from me? What am I giving them? <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I may have said this on podcast before, but when I saw Foxworthy and Leno at mm-hmm. the Opry a couple years ago, um, I went with Scott Dunn, who's a, a comedy writer for Foxworthy. So he's, he was excited to go and, we were watching the shows, and afterwards, like, so what do you think? What do you think about the two guys? And I'm like, man, you know, I think it was definitely the right order, Leonard, to go up and kind of sling jokes for a while than Foxworthy. But I said, I just like Foxworthy better. You know, I just can't put my finger on it. And he's like, here's the key. Foxworthy loves the audience. Leno loves the jokes. So Leno could care less how many people are there. Whatever. He wants to get right into his jokes and get his laughs. That show, Foxworthy, came out, and literally about a minute before he started into jokes, he just said, Hey, I'm going to get the jokes here in a second, but I just, I know that in a crowd this big, there's people going through things in life and that things are tough. And I just want you to put those things aside and just laugh this next hour and just let's have fun together. And I appreciate this opportunity and I never want to take it for granted. And this was pre pandemic and everything. He just, he just acknowledged that he was thankful and he loves on the audience. And then he gets into his material. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, of course he's got his own expectations and people. People know what they're going to get. They're not going to, they came to the opera to see him. So they're not going to wander off. But he was in no hurry to like start slinging jokes just to mm-hmm. prove himself. Whereas Leno instantly came out and was just, me, 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 me. And maybe like the three quarters of the way into act, his act, he actually mentioned a family member like his mom in one of the jokes. And I'm like, if anything, I'd be more curious about what goes on in the Leno household because the jokes were just meaningless topical things that were monologue type jokes, you know, right. which he probably got really used to writing. Uh, yeah. He was on the Tonight Show for so long. Yeah. Writing, Headlines, buying. Yeah. Yeah. All that stuff. So, um, I don't think the opening jokes is as important as I used to think. It, it, but it kind of depends on how much time you have. If you've got an hour, you've got enough time to, that's right. to, to yeah. get them back. Whereas if you just have a short set, it's more important, I think. Well, cool. I think that's going to cover it for today. Um, everybody out there, thanks for listening to the podcast. You can always uh, support the podcast through Patreon schoolofless.com forward slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N. I'm with two other podcasters. So if you guys want to let people know where, where they can hear you on your shows, go ahead and let them know right now. Uh, mine's called Talk About That. You can find it wherever you find podcasts. It's with my buddy, John Driver, who's an author and pastor. And so we talk about uh, funny. We talk about life and spirituality sometimes. So yeah, talk you, about that. You can also find it at Dollar General. That's and right. Brian. Uh, Nate Land Podcast with Nate Bargatze and Aaron Weber comes out every Wednesday, wherever you can listen to podcasts. Yeah. And it's video as well, right? Yep. Find it every week on YouTube. Yeah. And follow on Instagram for short clips and Facebook for all those kinds of things. Yep. All right. We'll see you out there. Take it easy. Stay safe. Stay funny. Thanks for listening to the School of Laughs podcast. If you'd like to hear more School of Laughs podcasts, you can find them on iTunes and Stitcher.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For information on upcoming live and online classes, visit schooloflaps.com. Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay money.